0: I get the honor and the privilege this morning to speak to you from Mark chapter 8. So if you will, go ahead and be turning if you don't have a Bible with you. There should be a blue hardback Bible on the pew there, and I went on and looked it up for you. No pressure, but page 844. So you can turn to page 844 and you can find our passage for this morning. So uh, as you're turning there, though, I want to draw our attention to a few things. Uh, It's really not a summary of the book of Mark. I thought that was a little bit what I was going to be doing uh, getting up here this morning, but as it turns out, I'm doing more of a reminder. I want to remind us what has happened in the book of Mark leading up to the chapter that we're going to be in today, which is chapter 8. So if you want to hold your hand right there in Mark chapter 8, go ahead, if you want to follow along with me, go all the way back to Mark chapter 8. 1. Hold your hand in, in chapter 8. That's where we're going to be focusing our time. But I'm going to look at a few things, fly through these chapters real quickly, just reminding us of a few things that have happened. Now, as we get to our passage in a little while of Mark chapter 8, there's a lot there in verses 27 to the end of the 8th chapter in chapter 9, verse 1. And I may read some things. You may even get excited and go, oh, he's going to really hit on this or hit on that. Let me go ahead and warn you. I had to kind of nail this thing down and shave some stuff off to be able to fit in here. And I, my father-in-law came through town this week, and I was telling him about it because he dropped by the office, and I was actually preparing for this lesson, this sermon, and he said, uh, well, here's some advice. When you get up there to preach, ask everybody to take their wristwatches off their arms, set them back 15 minutes, and then when I land on time, y'all won't be upset with me. You won't know that I've taken an extra 10 or 15 minutes. So, Instead of doing that, instead of trying to trick you, I'm going to condense it in here. and we're, we're going to follow a couple of main ideas that I'll be mentioning to you in just a moment. So if you will humor me, go with me uh, through the book of Mark, beginning with Mark chapter 1. I'm going to mention verse 15. Now again, one reason I'm doing this, as you'll see, we've been going through the book of Mark as a congregation, been preaching through this book, but because of things like Palm Sunday, Easter Sunday, we've skipped around a little bit, and we went ahead in the book of Mark. Now we've come back. We're actually skipping over some passages that we will not be preaching on. And it's important, as we've arrived now at the 8th chapter, and we'll begin in verse 27, it's important that we understand what all has happened. Have you ever asked the question, have you ever wondered why Jesus said some of the things that he said? Have you ever wondered why did Jesus do some of these things that he did? There's a reason. Jesus was very purposeful with his life and with his ministry here on earth. Look at me, look with me at Mark chapter 1 verse 15. Jesus says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Two verses later, Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28, he rebukes a demon-possessed man by saying, Be silent and come out of him. And all the people around him were amazed. That's what we're told in that passage. They basically say, Look at this guy. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And then we're told that Jesus' is famed. now this is important, This is very important for us this morning. Jesus' fame starts to spread everywhere throughout the surrounding area of Galilee. We read of that in Mark chapter 1, verse 28. Mark chapter 2, Jesus says to a paralyzed man, a man that cannot walk, his legs do not move on their own. He says, my son, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine the guy? There he is, can't walk. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. I would have been going, Jesus, come on, seriously, what good does that do me right now? My sins are forgiven. I can't walk. Jesus is teaching here a lot, one of which is, and I already mentioned actually earlier that our spiritual health is of the utmost importance, then our physical health. So what does Jesus say in Mark 2? He says, what's easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's key. He knows the people that He is speaking to and speaking in front of. They know only God can forgive sins. What's Jesus saying? I'm God. Jesus out in the open is saying, I can forgive sins. But He says, so that you may know that I am the Son of Man, that I have authority to forgive sins, he says, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. The man got up, walked away carrying his bed, and what does everybody say? It's there for you to read. We never saw anything like this. So then, Jesus basically gets his, what I like to call, his celebrity status. So Jesus starts becoming the celebrity in his area. He's gaining much popularity, but with like celebrities even now, you get some... Good, positive popularity. What do you also get? You get those bad tabloids. You get the negative popularity. I mean, he's healing people, people that love him. But he also gets some negative. Look at Mark chapter 3, verse 6. After Jesus heals another man, this man has a withered hand and is restored. What happened? Mark chapter 3, verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately, without hesitation... Held counsel with the Herodians against how to destroy him. They immediately wanted to see how they could kill Jesus. Jesus keeps on healing people, though, doesn't he? Chapter 5, remember? Verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran down and fell before him, crying out in a loud voice. He said, This is a demon possessed man. He says, What have you to do with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that over and over that the demons, they know who Jesus is. He says, what have you to do with me, the Son of God? They know who Jesus is. They recognize him. So, so what does he do? Jesus spots a great big old herd of pigs on the hillside feeding, just grazing up there. And so he actually gives permission uh, to the man, and he says that the, that the demons can enter into the pigs. Now, y'all, this has got to be one of the coolest stories because you can't make this stuff up. I mean, for me, this is one of the coolest things that's ever happened. He, he said, Jesus says to the man, What's your name? My name is Legion, for there are many. There are so many demons. So he sees these 2,000 pigs on the hillside feeding, and, he, and they said, Don't throw us out of the country. Jesus gives them permission. You know what he gives them permission to do? This is so neat. He gives them permission to enter into the pigs, 2,000 pigs, 2,000 on the hillside. The demons enter in, and when they enter in, the pigs, they take off. <laughs> they take off running. What happens? They fall off there's a cliff, and they fall to their death, and they drown. You can't make that up. Read Mark chapter 5. It's incredible. It's there for us. So then, just later in the same chapter, he raises a 12-year-old girl from the dead. And of course, all are overcome with what? with amazement at what they have seen. Jesus strictly charges them. Important. Jesus strictly charges them to tell no one. Don't tell anybody. Chapter 6. Jesus rejected in his own hometown. Then we have the miracle performance of feeding the 5,000. Do you remember this? Do you remember the 5,000? What did they feed them with? Fed 5,000 with? Five loaves of bread. And? two fish, 5,000 people, five loaves of bread, two fish, and they pick up several, they pick up 12 baskets full of bread and fish after 5,000 people had their full. Move on. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, Jesus also walks on water. That's in there, too. All right, chapter 7. Chris preached last week from the passage that we actually learned that we sin because we are sinful, That's why we sin. We sin because we're sinful. Jesus says it's not from anything from from outside of us that we consume and is expelled, but rather he says from within the heart of man comes that whole list of stuff in verses 21 through 23. All right, we're getting there. We're getting there. Stay with me. Then he heals a demon-possessed girl, really via wireless connection, if you will. She's not even there. This woman, she comes to Jesus. And she says, please, it's my daughter. And he says to her, the demon has left your daughter. This daughter wasn't even there, y'all. This mother. She leaves the presence of Jesus. And she goes home and she finds the child lying in bed with no demon. He heals a deaf man. And the whole time he's saying, do not tell anybody. So we come to chapter 8. How can we feed these people, Jesus? Look at them all. Can you just hear us? I mean, can you just hear them in their unbelief? Can you hear them? Look at all these people, Jesus. What are we going to do? Jesus simply says, how many loaves do you have? What does our man do? He feeds 4,000 people with seven little loaves of bread, and they pick up seven full baskets after. After all had eaten their full and all were satisfied. But isn't it funny that even after this, the Pharisees, they say, yeah, that's that's good and all. That's some pretty cool stuff you're doing. But can you give us a sign? Can can we test you a little bit to really see what's going on? See if you've really got some power. See if you, you might be this person who you claim to be. And then there they all are. Jesus with his disciples. And they're discussing the fact, again, someone forgot the bread. They didn't bring enough bread. Jesus, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your heart so hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear two physical ailments? Mind you, that we know Jesus can take care of. But he says, with your eyes, can you not see? With your ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how much you took up later that was left over? And they said, 12. And then the seven for the 4,000. How many baskets did you, did you pick up? Can you just see them kind of? Seven. And Jesus just looks at them and says, Do you not understand? Now, some of you are asking the question right now. Some of you are asking this question probably a few minutes ago. But why is Harrison going through all this? Why am I taking the time to line all that up, to mention all of that? Is this the sermon? Is he going to get to this passage? Here's why I mention all of those things that Jesus said, all of those things that Jesus did, because I believe that all, all, Everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did, He did for a reason. And He did it so that we can know that it is important. He is important and we may know who He truly is. But why did He do these things? And I just went through chapter by chapter. Because if you remember, while He was doing these things over and over, shh, don't tell anybody. Do you remember that from all these accounts that we have? Don't tell anybody. But now, isn't it interesting? Now, here they are in the pages of Scripture recorded for all the world to see. Do you ever ask yourself why? Why did Jesus over and over say, Don't tell anybody. And now anybody can pick up this book. Anybody can pick up the Word of God. And it's for the whole world to see. So why did he say, don't tell anybody? And now all of us can come to the pages of Scripture and we can read about it. He did many things, many miracles he performed, and it was not for our amusement, I assure you. But why did he do it? He forbade them to tell no one, and now it's written down for the world to know. Turn with me to John chapter 20. The rustling of your pages tells me you're still awake. Chapter 20 of John. Let me read, verse, starting with verse 27. John 20, starting with verse 27. Listen to this. Then he, then Jesus, said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put your hand, put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God! Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Bingo! Now listen to verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. We're going to be looking at the passage this morning in which Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ. All that Jesus said, all that Jesus did All the things we have recorded down in the pages of Scripture, they are written there so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Son of God. So as we come to this passage this morning, it may even be familiar to some of you. Maybe some of you are hearing this from Mark chapter 8 for the first time. But no matter what the case is for you, whether you're hearing it for the hundredth time or you're hearing it for the first time, it is written down so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ. That's what I'm up here pleading with you this morning. Believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now we read at the end of that John 20 He says, so that you, by believing, you may have life. But the question I'm sure you want to know is what kind of life? What kind of life is this that God is promising me through His Son? Is it a good life now? Or is it some other kind of life? Well, that is something that I want us to hit on very quickly. We're not going to have time to spend much there. But for us to know that Jesus has come, that Jesus has suffered, as He preaches to His disciples here in this passage, that He has suffered and died and risen from the dead, and He is in heaven, so that you can share in a life that, get this, that is already yours, but you're looking forward to it. Can you, can you wrap that around your head a little bit? I can't seem to wrap that around my head. That something is mine. It is mine, but I'm looking forward to it. What is this life that Jesus is calling us to The unique position of the Christian, of the Christ followers. Jesus is going to say, if you were to follow me, deny yourself. But if you were to follow Jesus, then you are actually heading somewhere. Get this. You're heading somewhere that you already are. Now again, I said I don't have time to to expound on that this morning. I look forward to maybe I get to from this very spot soon and speak more about that. Now, maybe you're here this morning because you have that life. Maybe you understand that. And I hope that you are here this morning to worship God with all your being, with all your mind, your heart, your soul, with all your strength, because you know something about that life and you know that it is yours. You know what it is that you're looking forward to. But even if it's you this morning who's hearing this story, and maybe you know Jesus the man, maybe you believe some of these stories, maybe you get that Jesus was someone who maybe suffered or maybe even died on a cross, but he's no Savior of the world, he's no Christ, then this morning, this is written down for you so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ. Now turn with me to Mark chapter 8. I want to read verses 27 to the end of the chapter and then chapter 9, verse 1. Stand with me. This is God's Word. Stand with me as we read it this morning. Start in verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged him to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. he He said this plainly. He said this so they could understand. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And he called to him the crowd with his disciples. And he said to them, Listen to this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me, of my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, I mean, listen to this. Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Please be seated. And as you do, let me pray one more time. Heavenly Father, your word is weighty. It is a heavy thing. And Lord, we thank you for speaking to us. Would you put me aside this morning? Would you show us, Jesus, that you are the Christ? We pray in your wonderful name. Amen. Here's the two things I want to focus on quickly. Two things. One, the misunderstanding. The misunderstanding. And then secondly, what in the world is verse 34 talking about? That we are to deny ourselves if we are to follow Jesus. The misunderstanding. Jesus asked His disciples, He said, Who do the people say that I am? Can you, can you just hear this dialogue going on? Who do people say that I am? Well, the popular opinion in Jesus' day was that everybody had a very high opinion of Him. They thought He was somebody great. They even thought, get this, everybody the people think that Jesus is. Do you notice it? Somebody that's come back from the dead. Isn't that neat? But then later on, we read of the disciples What does he mean about this rising from the dead? Even the people thought he was somebody risen from the dead. So, but although they thought he was somebody great, they had this very high opinion, it all still fell short of the truth. Although, by all these examples of John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets come back, they must have been convinced of his miracles, that he was an extraordinary person. So Jesus says, but you, but you. Who do you say that I am? Why do you think it's but you? Jesus says, I get what all the people are saying about me. I get that. He says, but you who are following me, you who are on my side. He says, but who do you say that I am? In other words, the Christ follower is to have a different answer than the world around him or around her. Do you see that? You must see that and you must be convinced of that. Because if, if it's to sincerely believe that Jesus is the Christ, in Jesus' day, his immediate response to Peter, you are the Christ! You are the Son of God! He says, shh, you're right, but don't tell anybody, because let me preach to you what must happen to me. So they misunderstood what Jesus had come to do. Why does Peter lash out and rebuke Jesus? No, not you, Jesus. That's what we have here in this account. Because, see, the disciples, Jesus' his followers, wanted the chief priests, the elders, the scribes, they wanted them to crown Jesus, not kill Jesus. They misunderstood what Jesus had come to do. They wanted a crown placed on His head. They didn't want nails thrust in His hands and nails thrust into His feet. They misunderstood what Jesus had come to do. It's the misunderstanding. And I believe we misunderstand why Jesus has come, why Jesus has suffered on our behalf, why Jesus has died on our behalf. For us and more importantly, why Jesus has risen from the dead and he has ascended into heaven and he is sitting at the right hand of God the Father in his place of power right now. It is the misunderstanding. They wanted the kingdom of God ushered in. They wanted him crowned. They didn't want it, they did not want him killed. But he says to wait until he has been killed, until he has been buried, until he is raised again, and he says then the proof of my Messiahship will be readily available. We're not going to have time to get there. Chapter 9, verse 1. So just let me say this. That's what chapter 9, verse 1 is talking about. He's saying, don't tell anybody. Wait till the proof is here. There are some of you standing here now that are going to have the proof. When Jesus died and He was buried in that tomb, and when that tomb became empty, all the proof we need of His Messiahship is readily available so that all these things written down are so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing we may have life in His name. Do you know what Acts 2.36 says? Don't turn there. Just let me read it for you. Acts 2, 36 says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain, love that word, for certain you may know that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Listen, especially all you young ones in here. Listen, Christ is not His last name. He is Jesus the Christ. It is not a name. It is who He is. It is a title. But we say it so flippantly, Jesus Christ. That is not His last name. It is who He is. It is also in His purpose of why He has come. It is also where we misunderstand His purpose in our lives. So Jesus preaches to His followers. Look at verses 34 through 38. Look with me quickly. Let me read them again. Starting with verse 34. And he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, this adulterous and sinful generation of him will a Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You see, the only reason, maybe not the only, but a reason we even get verses 34 through 38. We don't even get those verses if we understand. It is, become, it is because the disciples misunderstood the nature of Jesus' kingdom that we even get Verses 34 through 38. It is because you and I misunderstand the nature of God's kingdom in our lives that we have. Verses 34 through 38. We still want Jesus just to be crowned. We don't want Jesus to be suffered because we know if we are to be Christ-like, we must what? Deny ourselves. Take up this instrument of persecution and follow Him. You've often heard me say this, but I mean, if Jesus was an SEC football coach, if this was his, the way he went around recruiting players, hey, you want to be on my team? Pick up an instrument of torture and follow me. At kickoff, there's no players on the field. That's not how you recruit people to follow you. But Jesus is not promising a good life now. We misunderstand the nature of Christ's kingdom. So we get verses 34 through 38. What did our Lord say? If anyone is to come after me, meaning if you're to be a follower of Jesus, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, follow me. Jesus makes one thing certain. Listen to this. I want you to hear this. Look up at me and hear this. Jesus makes one thing certain from this passage that self-denial is necessary if we are to be a disciple of Christ. He says it right here. That self-denial is of absolute necessity if we are to be a disciple of Christ. Now salvation undoubtedly is all of grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We read it often here on Sunday mornings. For by grace you have been saved through faith and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, freely given of God to you. Not a result of works. Nothing that you've done to earn it. So that no one, not even you, can boast. So deny yourself, right? Now how are you to attain this self-denial? If Jesus says, you have misunderstood the nature of my kingdom, you have misunderstood the purpose in which I came, and he says immediately after this, he says, you must deny yourself if you were to follow me. So what is this self-denial? I wouldn't be doing a very good job this morning, of proclaiming God's Word to you, if I just merely stated deny yourself and at least didn't attempt to lay out how you do that. If I didn't attempt to say what that means. But here's the beauty of God's Word for us this morning. Harrison Hatfield doesn't have to create anything. I don't have to come up with anything to explain to you what this means. God's already said it in our passage this morning. Did you see it? The answer to that question is, is in verse 33. Verse 33. You are misunderstanding what must take place, Jesus says, because you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Since the Bible means what it says, we should think this out. How are we to attain the self-denial that Jesus says should really be our goal? Now, the way in which we think is supposed to be on the basis of God's revelation. That's what we're up here saying to you each week. Is the way in which you live your life should be based off of God's revelation, what He has revealed to us, what God has said to us through His Word. So if I begin to think correctly, my doing starts lining up. But this morning, oh no, last week, yesterday, getting ready this morning, did or does your thinking constrain your doing does that make sense does your thinking constrain your doing keep in mind verse 33 now what do i mean by this i hope that i mean what jesus means in verse 33 and then explains to us in verses 34 through 38 here we go example why do you think now this is this is just me Why do you think the only time that we're air drumming in our car, you know, like really giving it the 80s crosshand? You know, the only time that we're air drumming and beating on the steering wheel and doing that, whoop, the only time we're doing that's when we just got a raise. We're doing that when we got a promotion. We're doing it, we're doing the crosshand when our kid places first. It's something in school. You're banging that steering wheel when your kid does something on the athletic field. Why do you think that's when we're air drumming? Because these external factors are determining how we feel. The things going on around us are determining how we feel. Now, how about a rock climber? I like this one. I can relate to this one. Not that I'm a big rock climber. But when they're hanging from this cliff fall, I mean, straight down, nothing below them kind of thing, and they're like several hundred feet up in the air... But they seem to keep grabbing onto a new hold. They seem to keep going to the next spot and they seem to keep going up. And they get back down on the ground and somebody, you know, if it's some ESPN 8 the Ocho, you know, extreme games thing, they get down there and somebody interviews them, they say, Weren't you scared? He's like, Yeah, man, I scared. Yeah. Well, how did they keep going? Because what they were thinking was not determining what they were doing. They knew they must get to the top. They knew what they had to do. They kept getting those grips, getting those holds. They were not basing what they were doing off what they were feeling, off what they were thinking of the external factors around them, of looking down and nothing but a fall. So Jesus says you're not setting your minds on the things of God. But well, we could exaggerate. I could get up here and I could exaggerate this, deny yourself, and take up your cross all day long. But I don't want to. We're not to coerce any tough times, we're not to create any suffering in our lives. We're not to endure things in order to be, which sometimes, unfortunately, can be the message from the church is we're not supposed to create something so that we are more Christian. We're not to go through something, endure something, create something bad or awful or hard in our lives in order to be more Christ-like. Now, I know you want something to apply straight to you, straight to your situation. Here it is. Now, it's simple. It's simple probably because I'm saying it. But here it is. I think it's true from God's word. So listen, we all have souls. We all have souls for which we are accountable to God. But hear this. I want to read this. I want to get this right. I was thinking about this this week, and it hit me. We all have souls for which we are to give an account to God. It is an awful fault, though, isn't it? when we consider how little attention we give to anything except this world. Do I need to read that again? I don't think I do. I think you heard it. Isn't it an awful thought that we go through our weeks and how little attention we give to anything except the things in this world? So therefore, I'm only beating on my steering wheel and air drumming when something good happens when I get a promotion, when my kid does well. It's awful to think about, but I think it's often true. Any of us in this room can have our souls lost. You cannot save it. Christ alone can do that. But He knew that He had to be murdered. He knew that He had to rise from the dead so that you and I could have a shot at it, so that we could have a chance at that life which He promises us. But you can murder your soul. Listen to this. But you can murder your soul by clinging and cleaving to the things of this world. Let that sink in. Listen to that. Take heed to Jesus this morning. But you have the opportunity to receive the gospel into your heart this morning. If you know the Lord Jesus, if you know Him as the Christ, then you have the opportunity every single morning and evening to renew the grace that you have in Him. Ryle said, Oh, how many ways there are that lead to the pit. But we know there's one way that leads to life. I'll end with this. The whole world cannot make up to you the loss of your soul This is that verses 34 through 38. The world cannot make up to you the loss of your soul to acquire all the possessions, all the treasures in this life, all the treasures this world contains would not offset for eternal ruin. Hear that. If you had everything in this life. And let me tell you something. It might be great and it might feel good, but at best, it's a few years. At best, You enjoy that a few years, but I'm here to tell you, it will not, under any circumstance, offset eternal ruin. Remember this when you're tempted. Remember this, oh, remember this when the world seems so great and the world seems so bright. Remember this in your time of pain, remember this in your hour of persecution, and call to mind, last thing I'm going to say. Call to mind the question of our Lord this morning. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his life? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we give you praise this morning, Lord Jesus, for the work that you have done on the cross on our behalf. Lord, would you draw us closer and closer to you every single day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your message. Lord, if anything I've said this morning is contrary to your word, I pray that you would strike it from the record. Lord, let us hear your grace, your mercy, your love to us, your children. We pray. Amen.